Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Wednesday, February 8th, 2023. I am John Podhoritz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. Christine Rosen is out today with me as always, Executive Editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Associate Editor and author of The Rise of the New Puritans, Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. Uh, Joining us today, uh, Washington Commentary Columnist, American Enterprise Institute Fellow, author of the right, the hundred-year battle for American conservatism, Matthew Cottonetti. Hi, Matt. Hi, John. Uh, this also gives me an opportunity to make an announcement about the future of the podcast. As we told you a couple of weeks ago, our Noah Rothman is departing us to go to the to go to our uh, friends and colleagues and confrères at national review he will be doing he will be uh on doing his last podcast with us uh, at the end of next week and matt Continetti is going to join us as his in his stead uh on the daily podcast so we are we have a form of baton passing today here on february 8th though uh noah will be with us uh through february 17th and matt will not be joining us until after that on a daily basis uh, but uh, it will be abe christine matt uh, and i um trying to provide you with wisdom and uh and entertainment on a on a daily basis there will be less vaping <laughs> that will be the major change the neoconservatism will remain strong there will just be less vaping with Noah we, uh, at National we, Review. That's my secret we, ingredient. We at we at we at commentary uh, believe in vaping as the lesser evil. So, <laughs> sure. uh, and that is a key element of neoconservatism. Of course, is the realism that 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 accepts the fact that there will be human weakness and behavior. Yes. And the question is, what what behavior is least damaging? And uh, uh, Noah, Noah actually has written quite brilliantly on vaping for us in the past, and will probably do so in the future. It's all motivated before. reasoning. There you go. Well, congratulations, Matt. It's, among... it's a perfect fit. Yes. Well, thank you, Noah. I'm looking forward to it. You know, there are going to be some changes in this podcast. I'm going to be a little disciplinarian here when I get Uh-oh. started. I'm going to make sure we we the trains run on time. That's all I'm going to say. Subtle That's... nudges. You won't notice. The listener won't notice, but. But uh, I'll be making gestures on the Zoom if uh, things start to tarry. Well, you know, Matt. Matt was, of course, a regular uh, participant in the Free Beacons uh, podcast, which I write and writer. And, yeah. Excuse me, and the name of which I write and writer. Write and writer, right? So, um, but the funny part was, though, he was in fact the founder, creator, and the boss at the Free Beacon. He was not, in fact, the host of Write and Writer, the Free Beacon. Uh, podcast and so i imagine that uh, when they were sitting in studio as once long ago we all sat in studio together to do a podcast as opposed to as opposed to zoom which uh i had uh, the existence of which i was uh, i was unaware until until the pandemic um uh i i imagine that you you were you were d- delivering those hand gestures every now and then when liz <laughs> yes. harrington or somebody was going a little too far because you yeah. just you were like you were just a just another panelist there and i will be a panelist on this on this great <laughs> but production. we but but yes but matt you know matt as the as the determiner 
or determine not as the as the determining critic of of what constitutes proper and improper uh, conservatism, <laughs> he will be holding up you know Absolutely. warning cards. Yes, yeah. red, green, the yellow, yellow card. Yeah. yeah, that's that's right. Yeah, right. Okay, great. Well, Matt, so let's let's get into it. Last night, State of the Union address. Um, many different things to talk about. The only news to me in the entire evening was that Janet Yellen is really, really short. I had no <laughs> idea, but Janet Yellen has been sort of a figure that one has followed uh, if you are a you know observer of public life in the United States and economics and that for 20, 30 years. Uh, she came in uh, as part of the cabinet uh, team last night down the down the corridor, and uh, and Tony Blinken was in front of her. Tony Blinken's like five ten. She looked to be about four foot three. She well, was I like, I appreciated like, how you calculated that. Yeah, yeah, okay. Because you were judging off of your own height. Because well, okay, you know so Tony I'm five eleven. I know Tony Blinken. He's a little shorter than I am, and then so like Janet Yellen looked like she was a foot shorter than Tony Blinken. So if I'm five eleven, Tony Blinken, which I checked, is five ten. Janet Yellen had to be four ten. The internet says she's five three. She ain't no five three. Anyway, there's no way she's five three unless she was wearing negative heels. Uh, but well, uh, she might have been five three at some point. What? Well, I she's not that old. How she thinks she's shrinking her, already? We all shrink, shrinking five <laughs> inches. I used to be six four. What are you talking about? Okay, fair <laughs> enough. All right. Anyway, that that was that. That's that's the takeaway for me because I'm really weird. But um, Matt, uh, be a more serious person yeah, and sure. give me your takeaway. Well, uh, you know, I've been struck by the media swoon that has uh, followed the speech. Um, John, uh, you will not be surprised to learn that um, Hendrik Hertzberg, Ritz Hertzberg of the New Yorker, says it may have been the best State of the Union he's ever seen. Last night's speech, uh, James Fallows and both of these journalistic eminences are uh, former speechwriters for President Jimmy Carter. James Fallows So says, they know a good speech yeah, exactly. when they hear one, let yeah. me tell you. Because yeah. they says, each never wrote a good speech. And for such a successful president. Um, yes. Fallows says he could hardly, Biden could hardly have done a better job on what matters. Um, and then another, in terms of uh, strange new respect, we also had Donald Trump's final conclusion on the speech was, Biden ended the evening far off, far stronger than he began. So there you have a bipartisan consensus <laughs> that ranges from Rick Hertzberg to Donald Trump that the Biden speech was a success. Uh, I can't say I felt the same way, um, but I do think that Biden did something very clever. And maybe we can kick off the discussion this way. When they released the uh, excerpts of the speech, the paragraphs the administration released to the press really emphasized bipartisanship, cooperation, civility, congratulations for uh, Kevin McCarthy, the new House Speaker, and really set a tone, I think, in the run-up to the speech that this 73-minute-long uh, address, one of the longest State of the Unions in history by word count, uh, was going to kind of inaugurate an era of good feeling as Biden prepares for re-election. Well, that was not the speech. Maybe that was 20 max minutes of the 73. But once he kind of pivoted 
from the initial parts of the speech, which were very generous and magnanimous, uh, it was a very partisan address. And of course, led to the, um, which I assume will be the most um, broadcast portions, rebroadcast portions of the speech, the exchanges with the heckling House Republicans. And so that what this showed to me uh, in some is uh, Biden, just as he said the other day, he accepts no responsibility for anything and he thinks everything is going swimmingly. And so his reelection campaign, should it launch uh, in the coming weeks, as most people expect, is going to be things are great in America and we just got to keep on uh, pressing on. Abe? Yeah, f finish the job, as he, as he uh, uh, put it. Uh, I've got to say, setting aside entirely whether or not I agreed with the content such as it was uh, of the speech, um, I can see it being a success for Biden um, in that I think people bought generally the let's work together bipartisan uh, gloss that they wanted to put on it. And in that he seemed sort of vigorous. Uh, uh, the idea in, in all the commentary after and 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 even getting sort of uh, um, texts from my more liberal friends, um, there is this idea that because of the heckling um, and how he handled it, uh, he gave this appearance that he can he can give as good as he gets. He can roll with it. Um, I don't think he can generally, but I, but I, but I think somehow that that he did pull that off, given um, everything uh, that that transpired. Noah, we we can get into the yeah. substance. Well, we'll get into the substance, yeah, yeah. and we'll get into the performative aspects on both right. sides. But I mean, no, where are you? I <clears throat> I can't help but get into the substance now because the theatrics of it are all so forgettable by in 20 48 hours we'll have generally moved on from the theatrics of this the notion here that oh joe biden kind of tricked republicans into saying that they're going to protect medicare and social security no he didn't maybe the maybe they will maybe they won't no one's going to be bound to whatever they did last night it is uh fleeting ephemeral one of the things that I'm frustrated by is the idea that in a conceptual level, the State of the Union response should not be drafted ahead of time with excerpts sent out to everybody. It should be a response. Somebody should be able to do something like this in real time. You have 40 minutes. I do it. One of the things you're you should be about, able to do is yeah, say. You're, you're talking about Sarah. Sa OK, now we're moving on to the I Sarah know, I'm Sanders. Saying, I'm talking to Joe, Joe Biden. Joe Biden says. You know, oh, we have a fentanyl crisis and you should you guys should do something about immigration reform. And yeah, maybe even just pass border security bills. How dare you? How many amendments did Democrats uniformly, all 50 of you in the Senate, scuttle over the debate over the uh, the Inflation Reduction Act? Which would have done exactly what you ca called on Congress to do. How dare you? He says, you know, we can reform entire. I have a I have a plan to reform entitlements and it's better than your plan. All we have to do is tax people over four hundred thousand dollars once. How dare you? We've been talking about this for 12 years. We know that's a lie. He took a victory lap over the China balloon. How dare you? Yeah, I found a lot of it really insulting. Okay. Really offensive. You, you have offered a genius idea for next year's Republican response, which is you should pick somebody to do the Republican response. Who can think in person real time. should be sitting in a room with a bunch of fact checkers and this and the response should be 
A response. Uh, wonderful <laughs> to have this great, glorious moment where the president delivers his message uh, con- as the Constitution uh, demands to the American people. Here are 27 things he said that are lies. And what? just go through them and then say, thank you, good night. Like, that, exactly. that would be world-changing. <laughs> it would. Because it wouldn't be some you know, second level politician trying to, you know, trying to make bank and make themselves into a national figure, it would actually be, and you do it very carefully. You only, you only cite matters of fact that were totally wildly miscarried. Right. I think that's, or or, or, the president said, look, the inflation reduction act is also the most significant investment and ever in climate change. That sentence is incomprehensible. It doesn't make sense. I had images of Lewis Black saying, if it wasn't for my horse, I wouldn't have got through that first year of college. It makes no sense. And the more you think about it, the less sense it makes. So I want to get I want to get to you. You mentioned the balloon. And this was this was the one moment because we yesterday on the podcast said, look, he's going to have to make a rat. You, you know, this is the biggest story in the world. It's the biggest story of the last week. Got to make an accounting of himself. Do you know how many words he spent on the balloon? 15. There were 15 words about the balloon in the speech. There were 183 words in all dedicated to China and our policy toward China. There were 271 words about the Junk Fees Prevention Act, which took up an astonishingly long period of time in this laundry list speech where the president of the United States is saying, you know how angry you are when you go to a resort and you have to pay resort fees? You know when you go and they make you pay $50 on Frontier or Spirit so you can sit together as a family? Your children aren't baggage. And why does breakfast end at 1030? Uh, this was not a serious speech by, as indicated by the fact that there were, you know, 15 words about the most important foreign policy story of the year. And there were 271 words about the junk fees prevention act. And the junk fees came first. Yeah. Foreign, no, we didn't get to foreign policy until after the hour had yeah, passed. And what was foreign policy? It was Ukraine. some on Ukraine. You know, China. 108 words on China. and then All you of were which done. were triumphalist. All of which were, we came, we saw, we conquered. Yeah. As though the crisis isn't ongoing or just having been just inaugurated last weekend. And he had one moment of utter um, bizarre semi-senility. Oh, the, the because this was, not, this was not in the text of the speech, which was released by the White House as, as is its wont. You know, just as the speech was going on, uh, just as the speech, as the speech is going, then the White House releases the full text. And he went off script to say, what, I mean, I don't have the specific, what world leader would want to be G right now? Name me one world leader. Name me one. Name me one. (laughs) He starts yelling. He started yelling. What the hell was he talking about? <laughs> that was it, but that he had another moment of of semi senility um, when he couldn't recall clearly couldn't recall the name of the ambassador from. Although Ukraine. to be fair, the name of the ambassador was not in the text. 
well, but he yeah. wanted to summon it up and then he right. couldn't. But I, I mean, that was just awkward. But, but what the hell was he talking about? No, no other world leader would want to have the, you know, world's second largest economy at his back or, you know, be, you know, basically have this, you know, totalitarian government that, that, that services his every whim and that he's been spending eight years now consolidating his power over so that he is the single most powerful Chinese figure aside from Mao in all of world history. Yeah. Nobody would want to be him. Like if you're, if you're the president of, uh, you know, Ghana, you wouldn't want to be G too much trouble. What, what did that mean? What was going through his, what was it that he was trying to convey? I don't understand. Is it like, well, he's got COVID and now we shot down his balloon boy. I wouldn't want to be him right now. He was lucky what? that that came at the toward the very end of the speech. He started he started off. He called uh, Chuck Schumer the minority leader. Yes, and then was... there was a strange exchange where where Schumer was basically holding up how many uh, additional senators he now has. Yeah, but I think has a fifty one forty nine majority. He says holding up yeah. one finger, and then Biden's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, you're the majority leader again." Um, and then he mispronounced. Um, the name of the victim of the uh, police brutality in Memphis. Uh, he garbled the ambassador, which he ad libbed. And then finally he just, and I was, I was kind of looking at the text or I was on Twitter and all of a sudden he's, he's just barking at clouds. He's screaming. He's, he was screaming who would want to be Xi Jinping. Yeah. And I mean, I guess it's good that he doesn't want to be Xi Jinping, <laughs> But there are, as you say, plenty of autocrats in the world. And probably, you know, remember Tom Friedman's famous column, China for a day, right? There, yeah. there are plenty of journalists who would like to be yeah. Xi Jinping. But I mean, I, I don't even know what it was intended to convey. And that's where you start thinking, okay, there's something short-circuiting in his head. Uh, he uh, strayed from the text. And then when he strayed from the text, he just looked like... Yeah, there's no way the American people are going to reelect this guy. Well, if he does stuff like this next year, like, uh, you know, he's going to be, you know, he's not going to be able to only come out every three days and say a little stuff and then go back into his basement in 2024. It's going to be a hard fought campaign. To the extent extent that the the she ranting um, conveys anything, I think what he was trying to convey is that uh, and by his reckoning, China is not in a position to pose a, a, a real threat, right? That that they're somehow uh, that they're somehow hobbled. That's why you wouldn't want to be Xi. Which is which are... is a very bad thing for him to, to, he to said, be saying in broadcasting. Came, before I came to office, the story was about how the People's Republic of China was increasing its power and America was failing in the world. Not anymore. Well, because you took a, a balloon out of the sky doesn't mean you you know you won the battle here. And the idea that this isn't co- going to come back to bite him is, a, you know, just a real failure of imagination. There's a lot of ways in which that statement can come to haunt the president. I mean, I, so but I want to get back to the this uh, idea that I wanted to see if, that uh, Rick Hertzberg and, and Jim Fallows, notwithstanding, um, this was not a serious speech. Um, 
there are ways to convey seriousness in the speech. But one of the ways, by the way, is to do what Matt talked about and flip the topics. Like you go with the gravest material as you start. You go with Ukraine, you go with China, you go with the existential threats to the country or the matters that are most not only most concerning to you, but 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 which arguably Biden, whether or not they think the American people care or don't care, uh, Biden uh, has the right to be most justly proud of, at least in relation to Ukraine and the in, in many ways. But whether whether or not you agree or disagree with it, it is a matter of deadly seriousness. So you don't start there. You sort of you don't even end on it. You kind of throw it in 57 minutes in, and then you start going into the, here's a person whose four-year-old survived cancer. She's cancer-free. Like, you're bringing in a, I, I mean, I hate to put it this way, you're bringing in a cancer baby to get applause at the end of a speech? What the, again, what the hell was that? I, I don't understand and so it 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 makes it kind of a there's something lampoonish about it. Like this is the you know you start 40 years ago. Reagan cites this guy who jumped off the 14th Street Bridge to save people when a plane crashed into the Potomac. Uh, uh, Lenny, I can't remember his last Scutnik. name. Scutnick. Scutnick. Thank you. And like this was an electric moment right because he was there and no one had ever done this before cited him and now it's 40 years later and it's like you know who's gonna be on you know jimmy fallon's panel look it's paul pelosi and it's i'm Bono. very sad to say the parents of uh tyree and uh and uh you know, Bono, and then uh, somebody whose daughter died of a fentanyl overdose, and then somebody whose kids survived cancer, and it's like, wh what? What's the point here? If well, you you could theoretically structure the speech around the figures in that box. Yes. What was unusual uh, is that he, like many of his predecessors, to be fair, he shoehorned them all in at the very end, and the tempo of the speech was a little bit odd because i think he recognized how long it was so he began the speech by essentially rushing through the text yeah and so sometimes his words were not clear at all as he gained ground and i and maybe we this is when we can introduce the the major moment of the speech the heckling after the heckling and his um kind of unprecedented exchange with the republican majority in the house he then, I think, felt a little bit more confident and he slowed things down. Right. And so then finally, but then you get, he kind of had to rush through the characters in the presidential box. But there's a way to, I think, just tell the story you want to tell using each of the people present in the box as kind of the anchors for those sections. But the way it's this, this State of the Union, and you notice the same people who were swooning over Biden's State of the Union in the run-up, we're all like, oh, I'm so over the State of the Union. You know, I saw this all over the media. Oh, the, yeah. me the State of the Union. I don't even watch it anymore. Do I have to watch it? You know, I'm going to open up a bottle. And and then Biden did better than expected. And it's like, oh, my God, the State of the Union is the most wonderful speech ever. This is going to change everything. The State of the Union structurally is an odd speech to do because you have to kind of 
take credit for what you want to take credit for, propose things that you think Congress needs to do, and then end on an inspirational note. And so what Biden's speech was, I thought, funny because he began with things he had done, which were the bipartisan, with the exception of the American uh, Recovery Act. Um, he started with the infrastructure bill. He started with the CHIPS Act, and he got applause, bipartisan applause. Uh, then he moved on to something that will have to be done this year, which is the debt ceiling. And that, of course, was the big furious moment um, uh, with the lady in white fur coat, you know, screaming liar in the in the in, in the House of Representatives. Um, and then well, there were two moments. There were two moments, right? Because that was, was the, the debt first ceiling one. moment. And then no, before it was the Social Security was him saying there are Republicans. I'm not saying all of you. Right. There are some Republicans who want to sunset Social Security? Well, and- I, I I recall that as being kind of part of the debt ceiling discussion. Oh, okay, okay, right, because he's saying I'm not going to raise the debt ceiling, right? Okay, in exchange for you know, uh, as you want to literally sunset, like end the entitlement yeah. state, right? And that's what produced the lie. But we'll yeah. talk about that in a second. But then the rest of it—that's 45 minutes in, or even 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. The entire rest of the speech was things that will never happen. They yeah. will never. <laughs> They are never going to happen. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. I mean, the president also, he can, with a magic wand, do what he said he wanted to do, which is impose uh, made in America uh, restrictions on materials used in federal construction projects, which is a, a god awful idea. Right. Well, that was part of the economic nationalism at the top. I'm talking about when he's saying, yeah, pass the Equality Act. And uh, yeah. let's 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 close the union shops all across the country by let's passing give the teachers Act. a raise. Let's give it all a raise. Let's do yeah. it. And, yeah. and the Democrats are going wild, but you're just sitting there going, "Well, what's the point?" <laughs> you know, yeah. the point is he's setting himself up for a reelection campaign, right? I mean, let's give our teachers a raise is a was a is a pretty startling thing. Because first of all, the federal government has literally nothing to do with whether or not teachers get a raise. There's nothing in his. There's no quiver in his arrow. Excuse me. There's no. There's no arrow in his quiver that he can shoot to get teachers a raise. Teachers are paid at the state, you know, at the state and local levels, and it's ridiculous that he's even mentioning. It's just a way of, you know, winking to the teachers' unions that he's got their back, um, and also, you know, putting a sharp stick in the eye of the American people who remain angry, the ones who remain angry at school closures and the and the way in which the teachers unions, uh, you know, conspired with Democratic politicians to keep schools closed because it was convenient for them to live a life at home over Zoom while their while children rotted and developed severe learning shortages and emotional difficulties as a result of it so that was an interesting play because it's both a troll and a suck up um but yeah i mean it's that's not for him that's why that's why i say and i think the thing that you mentioned matt is like that's why i say it's not a serious speech i mean i don't want to be pompous about it because yeah other politicians have done it and blah 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 but it, it still um you know he he there are there's a very serious thing going on in Ukraine that is a matter of controversy that uh, he alone among the people on the planet Earth uh, has the stage to make the case as people who were supportive of it might start getting 
bored or want to move on or aren't that interested or something like that about why what he is doing is important and how to tie that into other matters that are of importance, everyday importance to Americans. And he didn't do that. Um, and I think that's a weird choice because it's the one moment if this is so important to him and Maggie Haberman said on, I think I said the other on Dan Senor's podcast this week that uh, from her reporting, she gathers that Ukraine is the most important issue to this is the thing. If you say to him, why do you think you should have a second term? He would say, I need to see Ukraine through. Yeah, well, like he needs to say that thing. in public because right. he's never said that in public before. I know. So let's say that's true. Well, he, I think he shows that he doesn't mean it or they don't mean it. And then maybe this is what he's feeling. But when he has the, the opportunity cost last night was huge because he talked about, you know, hotel fees more than he talked about Ukraine practically, or, you know, it was a kind of one for one. And that's just a, a strange choice. Okay. So the only thing anyone's going to remember about this speech is the heckling, right? I mean, we'll go on and people will. And, you know, if you remember Lenny Skutnik in 1984, you remember, I don't know, other moments like Trump, you know, celebrating Rush Limbaugh, uh, you know, announcing he's giving Rush Limbaugh a special medal or whatever. You know, like those things, this speech will be the Republicans yelling at the president from the floor of the thus uh, doubling, tripling and uh, quadrupling down on the moment when uh, Joe Wilson, uh, then congressman from one of the Carolinas, I can't remember which, you know, just said, you lie like that uh, when Obama said something or other. And there was also one moment when o when Obama said something and sat, the camera went to Samuel Alito. I don't yeah, remember well, that was that was when uh, well the the first one with Joe Wilson who I believe represented uh, North Carolina district in North Carolina he um uh, Obama in his uh, appeal for the health care bill in 2009 said that Obamacare would not uh, ensure illegal immigrants and that was the the what sparked uh, the outburst uh, Uli from right. uh, from representative Wilson then the following year or maybe it was in 2011 it was after the Citizens United decision, uh, right. and the State of the Union at that year, uh, Obama had a long section uh, lambasting the court uh, over Citizens United and how this would corrupt American politics. And that's when Alito shook his head. Just a brief note, though, before we talk about it, I, th I was struck that Biden went out of his way to shake the hands of all of the justices yeah. who were there and even said, hey, chief. You know, when he saw Roberts and then also something that I don't think I've ever seen before two the two living retired justices mm -hmm. were there too, uh, Anthony yeah. Kennedy and, and Stephen Breyer. Breyer. So yeah. the court was present in a way it, that it hasn't really been in recent years, uh, which I thought was uh, notable and, and interesting. Well, there were only five of the justices were there, I think. Not all right. Nine, well, right. All right. Nine but I mean, the fact but it has been protocol that there is no social interaction at the yeah. State of the Union between the Supreme Court justices and the president because of the separation of powers and the desire not to appear as though they are. Right. Know, they well, are. then and Biden had a weird comment yeah. at the beginning. Well, first, he shook Kavanaugh's hand and Amy Coney Barrett's hand. It was chummy with these, you know, uh, 
figures who the left views as demonic, right? Yeah. And then once he ascends the rostrum and is at the lectern and saying that uh, Dr. Jill is in the audience, he has this weird thing. He's like, he she gets to go. She's going to go to the game, chief. I might need a court order for that. <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I don't. So he's he's actually literally violating the separation of powers yeah. in a joking fashion there. Yeah. That was a very, again, I mean, you know, I guess this is a Rorschach test. Like, did you think it was cute that he, that he, you know, at the beginning of this constitutionally mandated message made a joke about how he's not getting to go to the Super Bowl? Also, why can't he go to the Super Bowl? That's what I find a little bit odd. Like he's because he has to because he has to be in Delaware getting his blood recirculated. That's 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 where. I, that's but this where I was go. all like part of the opening sort of set piece where he was showing that he was a, a jolly guy. Right. You that know, was the happy this was, part. Yeah. yeah. This is you know when he yeah. he also his 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 joke to Kevin McCarthy. Yeah. You know uh, this may get me in trouble or this may get you in trouble. Yeah, I don't want to get you in trouble. I don't want to get in trouble, but I'm looking, but I'm looking forward to work. You know, no, I think that was that that was for me the the top was the most successful part. Agreed. Yeah, Yeah. but it was kind of odd that all this, you know, as John was saying, there's all oh, you cannot interact with the justices or else you violate the separation of power. And here's hey, pal, you know, hey, give me a court order so I can go to the game. Well, okay, this actually sets the stage for what happened during this exchange, this moment that everybody's going to remember, and. John has a fantastic piece on it up on Commentary Magazine, commentary.org. You should read it. I have a different take. Uh, I was not as put off by it. This was not a solemn, uh, sober address where everybody played their roles. It was jocular and jovial from minute one. It was informal in ways that Republicans certainly responded to. Now, they've made this body much more informal than it used to be for good or for ill but the the tone was set early on in this in this episode and quite unlike the joe wilson episode where he shattered the silence of the moment uh behaved indecorously had anger in his voice all of these republicans were beaming smiles as they were heckling joe biden and joe biden was doing call and response he wasn't he wasn't doing a speech he wasn't interrupted He was suggesting to the audience that maybe this is what you believe. And they said, no. He goes, well, maybe it's what some of you believe. And he said, no. Well, I think you kind of believe this. And they go, no. He was engaging with them. And they were engaging back in ways that I think are neutralize the offense that would otherwise have occurred as a result of, you know, if, if this had been. And people were swearing. I mean, it was really obscene. But everybody was having fun doing it. And nobody okay, I, felt especially menaced by it. Finally, the okay, hold on, hold it. on. You got to stop because you you have now you you got to let me now you got to let me Go say it. what I said because you you Go you preemptively it. you did a you staged a preemptive attack, <laughs> and now I must <laughs> respond because people don't know what the antecedent is here. So the in the piece I wrote, I said that the Republicans behaved the Marjorie Taylor Greene Republicans behaved goonishly. That I was embarrassed to to have any kind of associate to be in any position in which I might be associated with such, such behavior. And that even what they were yelling about, they were wrong because in point of fact, the, the thing that Biden cited that caused the yelling is true. Rick Scott 
who was running the National Senatorial uh, Campaign Committee or whatever, the NRS, whatever it was, on his own steam, issues a set of contract with America-like proposals, among them being all laws should sunset in five years. All laws passed by the Congress should have a five-year sunset. This was among the most boneheaded mistakes ever made by a sitting politician because it opened him and the Republicans up to precisely the charge that Biden levied, which is if you sunset all federal laws, Medicare and Social Security are laws. They they exist because of statute. And if the laws are sunsetted, then Social Security and Medicare sunset. If that is a policy proposal from somebody who had a significant position in the a real in the in the 2022 election efforts and as a senator from the third largest state in the country it is okay for biden to say some republicans want to sunset medicare and social security because in fact many republican wonks do in fact want to sunset medicare and social security or restructure it or do something like this is a whole topic of discussion uh, in the you know eye shade libertarian community, and uh, you can't yell at the president for taking advantage of a of an unforced Republican error. When you yell at him that he's a liar and he's bullshitting, he wasn't lying or bullshitting. So not only were they was their conduct <clears throat> disgraceful and disgusting, they're crazy people because. There are many things they could have yelled at him for lying about, and they yelled at him for something that he wasn't lying about. And I, I want to disagree uh, strongly with you here, Noah. I don't think this was jovial at all. Um, they were booing and yelling liar. He was jovial in response. And that is why I say this could is a conceivable success for him. He made it seem like he was having a good time <coughs> dealing with them. I agree. They were out for blood and he turned it to his advantage. I really disagree. You got to watch that video. Like, I've watched it twice. Everybody has a smile plastered across their face. They are. Marjorie Taylor like, Green doesn't have a smile about? on her face. She looks she looks like foam villain. Flecked spittle is about to come out of her mouth while she has that bizarre. She was in that bizarre her white thing. Yeah. I mean, also her her out. Well, and she wanted to like... bring a balloon as her guest. I mean, she's not serious. Can I try to split the difference here? Yeah. Because I I am um, none of this is serious. But go on. I, I don't think I had a strange reaction to what happened. I I uh, what what they seem to be responding to wasn't so much the assertion that. Uh, the literal assertion Biden made, which was some of my Republican friends have decided that Social Security and Medicare should end. Right. And you can construe the Rick Scott plan as proposing exactly that. And, and so I completely agree. One of the worst uh, unforced errors in American political history was that was that policy document that Scott released unilaterally last year. However, I think what got a lot of Republicans angry was that that's not the position, the stated position of the House Republican Conference heading into these negotiations. And, and uh, in fact, just the day before, McCarthy had given almost a prebuttal to the State of the Union 
on the topic of the debt ceiling where he said the entitlements are off the table, right? right. So I think that's what got the House Republicans so angry because the truth is, despite what Scott has said and despite what maybe a few of the people who had signed, the truth was Scott's plan was not really that popular right. among Republicans. Uh, Biden was just saying no, oh, Mitch McConnell wanted to. Mitch McConnell has basically right. sidelined him. So, so they're angry the that Biden caucus. was. So in my view, Biden was demagoguing and lying. And my point is what I immediately thought back to was in 2012 when he told a heavily black audience in Virginia that Paul Ryan was going to put them back in chains. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is he said that. And okay. you know what? It worked. So I'm not I'm I felt the same displeasure as those Republicans. However, and here's where I tack toward John in my moderation and prudence. The way to respond was the way that Kevin McCarthy responded. Right. Silently, say no, shake your head. head. Yeah. Exactly. Instead, you have you have the crazy person who uh, is going to just it played right right into Biden's hands, as you right. say. Now, I want to talk. I want to talk about when I say that I think you know Biden said the point is that if you were a fact checker. On Biden's claim, there are some Republicans, not all of you, not, I'm not saying it's all of you, but there are some Republicans who want to sunset Social Security and Medicare. That fact check, and I'm not talking about a liberal fact check from PolitiFact or, or Glenn Kessler or something, would be rated as true. So yeah. it doesn't represent the caucus. And he was careful. I, now, I, I don't want to defend Biden on this. But he said, it's some of you, I'm not saying it's all of you, and I'm not saying, like, he literally said what you kind of just said. And they knew, here's the thing, and Biden, they telegraphed, because I saw background talk about the speech over the weekend. And there were penumbras and emanations from, obviously, the early drafts that he was going to do something like this. So they were prepared. That's why Kevin McCarthy did the pre-buttle. We're not going to touch the entitlements. And that means that this was either forethought, the decision to have a temper tantrum in public at one of the few communal political events that we have in the United States, maybe the only one in an off year, the only one in which the entire political system in Washington comes together for, for one hour, for a single hour, to be on their best behavior. One lousy hour. And these psychotic goons can't sit in the church and keep their mouths shut. Well, it's interesting. They McCarthy... could have shaken their head. That's what I'm saying. Or they did what the, what the women did when Trump you know, the everybody wore white. You remember the yeah. and well, they were the, screaming at him. They too. also screamed at Trump. And this is where I'm kind <laughs> okay. of, you know, this is I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, I wish so they no, screamed I at Trump. I don't care. Here. I'm not. I, 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 I do wish we lived in a better world than we do. No, but we don't. Absolutely not. And everybody not on every side of that debate is lying. They're all lying. So what? We are going to touch entitlements. So what? No, <laughs> no one's going to be held to any of this exchange. It will be forgotten. Doesn't matter. No, the exchange won't be forgotten because the picture will live forever. 
And if you are somebody who doesn't say, pay that much attention, yeah, to I politics. guess you do want to re reform Social Security's trustees and old age pensioners' phone and and you know Medicare's hospital liability insurance. You can't do that because look at this picture. Oh no, he's going to run on re-election. He's going to say if you elect uh, Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis or Tim Scott, the, your yeah. Social Security, Medicare are going to disappear by the end of their first. That's term. That's number one, and number two, number two. He's going to say, and this is the ultimate thing, and this is why he said it, and this is why Republicans are in trouble, because they are giving, not Republic, all Republicans, it's, this is only, you know, six or seven people, let's say, okay? But what he needs and what the Democrats need in 2024 is for Republicans to be the way they were in 2022. They need the crazy. Biden's reelection and Democratic success in 2024 in the face of a not great Senate map, bad map for Democrats, is for Republicans to look like psychos. And they are giving every indication in this first moment that they're going to look like psychos. And all those independents who only do things like tune into the State of the Union for a while, or then they tune out of politics or whatever, are going to go, who are these people? And you know what? Uh, Suburban women, you know, the people who flipped around, flipped around, you know, since 2016, voted for Trump, then voted for Democrats and voted for Biden. Then blah, 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 blah. Like, yeah. and that's what this is aimed at. This was aimed at causing a Pavlovian response from Marjorie Taylor Greene. And she provided it and mazel tov to her because if what she wants, if she thinks that Biden is the worst thing ever, she is his best secret weapon and she did exactly she was his puppet last night and did exactly what he needed her to do and he looked happy go lucky in response and the thing is i had thought he was going to overtly speak more about mega mega threat to democracy republicans didn't really touch on that no but they gave it to him he didn't have to well, so uh, maybe this is a good uh, briefly so we can talk about um, the re Republican response by uh, Sarah Sanders. Before uh, we do that, yeah. before we do that, let me let me uh, t talk to people about uh, Bull and Branch, our, our advertiser today. Um, it's winter. Boy, was it cold last weekend. Not so cold now, but it's going to get cold again. And you want to stay cozy all winter long with a set of buttery soft sheets from Bull and Branch made with 100% organic cotton threads. They get softer with every wash. They use the highest quality threads on earth. Sheets are made from slow-grown organic cotton for superior softness and a better night's sleep. Signature hem sheets from Bowen Branch. They're bestseller for a reason. They feel buttery to the touch, super breathable, perfect for both cooler and warmer months. Over 10,000 Ray reviews, loved by millions of sleepers. The signature sheets come in 10 versatile colors in all sizes from Twin Up to California King. They're they're made without toxins. They're free from pesticides, formaldehyde, and other harsh chemicals. And they fit the deepest of mattresses and are labeled with top and bottom tags, so making your bed is easier than ever. Best of all, Bowen Branch gives you a 30-night risk-free guarantee with free shipping and returns on all U.S. orders. So make the most of bedtime with Bowen Branch sheets. Get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use promo code COMMENTARY at bowlandbranch.com. That's B-O-L-L-A-N-D-B-R-A-N-C-H.com, bowlandbranch.com, promo code commentary. Okay, Matt. Yeah. So uh, uh, I thought uh, our, our discussion it, it does actually lead in uh, to um, maybe a brief 
segment on on the Republican response by uh, Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders, because the line that really stuck out in her response uh, was uh, as follows. She said, basically, you know, politics today is not between the left and the right. The choice, she said, is between normal and crazy. And I've as I've thought about this line over the last uh, eight hours, <laughs> I, I, I came to the conclusion that, you know, that choice is not just between the parties. It's within them, too. And that's the Republican problem, because you're going to if you if the crazy parts of the Republican Party are allowed to dominate the discussion, as they did in the run up to the elections last year, Democrats will win. Conversely, if the more insane parts of the left agenda and of the Democratic Party are in the limelight, then you're going to have Republican victories like you have with Glenn Youngkin or Brian Kemp or Ron DeSantis. So th- I thought it was a very clarifying statement. But what she left out was it's not it's not an either or between the Republicans and Democrats. It's it's an either or within each coalition and between both coalitions. It's very telling to the degree that she might actually understand, or at least her speechwriters might actually understand that because she went out of her way to say something that was absolutely gobsmackingly false, that the Democrats had thrust them into a, quote, culture war we didn't start and never wanted to fight. Nothing gets Republicans out of bed in the morning like fighting the culture war. They love it. But they do understand that they have to appear to be not the aggressors in this, but the defenders. They have to be side normal, which is why it was brilliant to choose the word normal because the word normal makes crazy people crazy. It's absolutely but, triggering. But I, I got I, I agree with I agree with Matt's uh, uh, um, analysis here that it that it's that it's in both parties. But the thing about her this message of hers is that it was undermined beforehand by the hecklers. Right. If they're gonna if they're acting crazy, and then the response from their side is we got we got to do something about these crazies. You're done. Well, she didn't seem to recognize that there are crazies in the Republican. Right. She wants right. the choice right. to between crazy left and Republicans. Right. And I think that's the right. way many conservatives see it. But the reality, as you say, which was on display during the heckling episode, was that it's much more complicated. That and that yeah. and, and if Republicans put forward Carrie Lakes and Blake Masters, they will yeah. lose. They will lose. And Democrats understand that. That's why they want to yeah. elevate those crazy yeah. candidates yeah. in these, well, in these campaigns. So let's talk about the the deeper meaning of what Sarah Huckabee Sanders was saying because there is genius in it. I mean, genius is an overstatement, but there is there is um, something very far-reaching and interesting. And in why why the formulation sticks in the head, even though it has the weaknesses of that specific moment uh, before it, which is that. The Republican appeal in 2024 on the culture war is different, will be different from the Republican appeal on the culture war before. Republican appeal on the culture war delved into controversial matters uh, that had very sort of hot butt guns, abortion, uh, things that are are immensely complicated and go to deep fissures in the American electorate and the American polis, not only dating back to the 1970s, but throughout our entire history. Um, 
there is something new afoot and abroad uh, that started in 2020, uh, though it didn't start, but I mean, it sort of hit the forefront of our discussions in 2020. Defunding the police, America as a as a as a uh, innately and uh, its original existed. It's it 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 was birthed in evil, right? The 1619 Project idea and gender is not real. You uh, gender is not real. Nothing is fixed, and it's okay for schools to treat your son as though your son is a girl without telling you if you're a 14-year-old who doesn't know who is having possibly very severe emotional and mental problems simply goes and says, I want you to call me by a female name and I'm going to come into school dressed and, and you, you, you know, it's like, fine, we'll do that. We're not going to tell your parents. Um, That is a new kind of crazy. And it, it, does this gives a weird it's like the conversation on abortion it was very clear to people who believed abortion was murder that there was no there there was there weren't two sides there but of course there were and there are and it, there was a weakness of the pro-life cause that it did not it found it very hard to summon up the imaginative understanding of what it was that the that people who were not pro-life felt about this very difficult matter um here it's like you're all crazy boys are boys and girls are girls and there is an entire party and there is an entire there is an entire party that is leaning heavily in this direction and they are crazy and we are not crazy that is a very serious problem for democrats they don't even know how serious a problem it is for them because they live in that bubble in which they have now made it clear that anybody who says what I just said is beyond the pale and monstrous and evil. And so everyone in, within their ambit doesn't say it, won't say it out loud. And they don't know that this is what 90% of people feel about this. Hollywood can make shows about transgender people and you know and the books can be written and the newscasts can do this and do that and the conventional person sitting there is going to say you're all crazy and maybe i don't even have the vocabulary to argue with you but i'm not going to vote for you if you're telling me that it's okay that my school system you know keeps from parents the fact that a kid is parading around uh wearing the garb of of the of the gender that they are not and you won't tell me so that maybe i can get that kid to a mental health professional because they're suffering from gender dysphoria and something has to happen because you're telling me that maybe the kid is suicidal because the kid isn't being allowed to to express themselves in the gender that they that they feel that they were you know falsely they, that they were they yeah. should have been born into and i'm saying you know what you may be right that is a sign of deep pain and scar and hurt and compassionate treatment is what is necessary here and you're not letting me know you are complicit in something that i think is wrong dangerous and may even be evil and so 
that's a new thing. And so the, the this is the first time that formulation, I hadn't, it hadn't occurred to me that the what are you crazy is actually a p- potential, uh, you know, Republican bonanza. But of course, it then all gets complicated. If Trump is the nominee, then you can't go with we're crazy, you know. You can't do the Biden with Trump because right. Trump can't go against Biden and say, "I'm sane and he's crazy." It turned out that was a very, very good message in the last two election cycles. There was one Biden other said, "I'm not crazy." Uh, Raphael Warnock said, "I'm not crazy." Um, you know, I mean that was that was good. Like that was that was a pretty potent uh, message, particularly if you don't want to run on hard ideology. And Republicans have a chance to use that message, but they're not going to be able to use that message if the face of the party is crazy. Yeah. And there is one other uh, aspect of her uh, response that um, Republicans could possibly use in the next election, but may not be able to. And that was the generational argument she made. Um, She contrasted the fact that she's the youngest governor in the country. She's 40 years old. And Biden is the oldest president in American history. And of course, if he's elected to his second term, would end his uh, time in office at the age of 86, which is kind of a nightmare to contemplate. Um, And that argument too, uh, would be available to Republicans only if they nominate one of their younger leaders and not the former president. I finally, I thought it was interesting where she spent a long part of her response and, you know, none of these responses ever measure up to the State of the Union. I thought hers was fine. I think Tim Scott's was probably the best I've ever seen. Um, but she ended it with this long description of a trip he took. she took to Iraq with the former, quote-unquote, former president. She never mentioned Donald Trump's name in this. And, of course, her her whole fame, you know, uh, it, is a result of her association with Trump. Um but she never mentioned the name. So Trump was in the background of a lot of her remarks as this presence, which, you know, which is the, uh, which will shape the, the 2024 election uh, in ways that Democrats assume will be favorable to them. A lot depends on, on uh, how present he is uh, in the general election. Well, you know, I think, Matt, you make a very important point. We've been having this conversation for the last month to six weeks about is Trump stronger than he looks or weaker than he looks? And what is the poll? The polling says that he beats Biden head to head. And on the other hand, there's a distinct lack of enthusiasm about his run among Republicans. And Nate Cohn had this piece about how if you use old timey, uh, you know, old timey polling that is random. Trump is much weaker. If you use panel polling where you ask people over time, Trump is stronger and that he looks weaker, therefore, today, because those polls are better. Da, 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 da. But I think there is a lot to be gained or gleaned from Sarah Sanders as a weather vane here because um, normal and crazy implicates Trump. And they, she knew that. Like, you can't talk about that, even though she was trying to say only Democrats are are crazy and we're normal and age. And if she is willing in this very high profile moment for her in her, what is it, like third month or even second month as governor? Yeah, second. Second month as governor to um, to take shots at her patron? 
or to sort of frame the entire political discussion as we need to be moving beyond my patron, if you take her as a we- as I say, as some kind of weather vane or harbinger of the future, that's pretty significant that someone from the Trump wing of the party now safely ensconced in a governor's mansion and without having to face it's Arkansas. So I think it's, is it still every two years that you run for governor in Arkansas? It was for a long time. Like Clinton had to run every two years, I, but they may have changed that. But let's say you have to run, like she's safely ensconced in the governor's mansion is saying we have to move on from this guy. Yeah. I mean, it was a very DeSantis uh, oriented speech. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's kind of, now there's a, something to be said, which we'll talk about uh, later or another time, but something to be said was the speech too conservative for the country. Um, because I mean, she hit all the MAGA meat, uh, buttons, you know, and, um, fed the red meat to the MAGA crowd. And, um, not all of those hits, I think, uh, will land with independent voters, but it definitely spread to me like a speech that would support a DeSantis candidacy or, you know, someone of that younger type who's very interested in the parental revolt and education in particular, as you point out, um, uh, running for, for president in 2024. But, you know, um, I think it had a quality that was not at all DeSantis-like, and 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 this was, I think, very much to its uh, detriment. I I thought the whole her whole response was very gloomy. Um, uh, right. Yeah, from the she start. didn't seem happy. Yeah. Well, she's to be fair. She spent two years at that podium, and she never seemed. I mean, happy. DeSantis. Yeah, DeSantis isn't necessarily Mr. Sunshine either. Yeah, so. but no, but no, but no, but he has he is triumphalist. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, no, we're she free. Seemed, this is free. She seemed, you're right. She seemed glum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, so I, I, her performance or whatever, I, as I say, I think it's more interesting. She's not of interest to me. Let me just put it that way. Except as 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 a as an example of something. Mm-hmm. Um, so the crazy normal formulation is very interesting, and her willingness to hint at the idea that it would be a calamity to nominate Trump in twenty twenty four is just that's kind of a crossing of a Rubicon. I mean, it's like, what if J.D. Vance had said that? You yeah, know, of course, they never like, say it explicitly, right? Not, it will never. I don't, I don't think anybody it will never happen explicitly. Oh, yeah. I don't. It takes a lot of exegesis to try to find that line in the speech. Age. Yeah, Trump? I think I think the, con- the contrast that everybody's mind is going to go to is with Joe Biden. I don't Donald agree. Trump. I don't agree. Nobody, well, I think nobody on the right is, is going to think age Trump. Nobody runs. on the right is going to think crazy Trump. I just don't think so. Well, I mean, I think maybe, it's all it, it could be a covert operation by whoever wrote this speech well, who clearly understands what the Republican Party's problems are. But I think the point is none of these arguments can be made if Trump is the nominee. It will be a different. Right. It will be anti woke. No, that, that will that's be the main. Point. Exactly. It will be anti woke, and he'll yeah. say he's for normal yeah. people, but yeah. people just don't treat him. Yeah. As a normal person for understandable yeah. reasons. I mean, DeSantis runs. DeSantis's main pitch is going to be Pepsi, you know, the drink of a new generation. 
that is going to be at the heart and the centerpiece. I got three young kids. I'm 44 years old. You know, you know what I've done since I since I was 18? You know, I was a star baseball player at Yale. I went to Iraq. I, you know, I was I went to Harvard. I did this. I was in the house. I was a governor. And I'm still a kid. He won't mention Yale or Harvard, though. No, you know what yeah. I mean. But you know what I'm saying? <laughs> know, I'm saying I, I have packed a lot into my life, and I'm still 44 years old. Yeah. And uh, he may not say in Trump future. is 80 years, 78 years old, but he won't have to. And, and then he will say it. Again, if he runs, in the end, what he's going to say is, you're great, you're not great, whatever you are, you're too old. It's time to pass the torch. It is time to pass the baton. The very fact that all you can talk about is what happened three, four years ago is a sign that you live in the past and I live in the future. That is going to be a very potent thing to say. Now, you could say it's, you know, they could do this Joaquin Castro thing and say, how dare you suggest that I've, you know, that I'm senile. Like when Joaquin Castro said, did you forget what I said two minutes ago to Biden? But that was uncommonly, you know, uh, assholish. Um, and you know, for Castro, uh, you know, it's like one of those moments where you're like, really, could you know, if you're going to do this, do it more gracefully. Like that was no wonder your political career ended at that moment. I've I've said this before. I don't think Trump, whatever his actual age, I don't think he comes across as old. I don't think that's exactly a weak the weak spot. That he's passed his sell by date politically, I think is is accurate. Um, is 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 a, is a juicier target. I don't. But know. if it's age, I, I, I agree with Noah. That's Biden. It's not. It just doesn't Biden. read that way to the right. I don't know that that's true. First of all, we're not seeing him on a on a on a day to day, hour to hour basis. I mean, literally, we've seen him. We saw him at that announcement speech in November and this one rally he gave in Pennsylvania, and he looked like he had lost some steps to me. You don't think he looked like he'd lost steps in the rally speech? And, and not the rally speech, but in the announcement speech? And, you know, he's going to be out not there. Not really, no, but doing that precise stuff. when he wanted to talk about what he wanted to talk about. No, he was absolutely alive. The only thing he wants to talk about is himself and his grievances. Yes. I, I don't when he's think talking he about the sort alive. of thing that I mean, they look, think he has to do to check the box. Yes. This is a this is a performance question. It's also like a simple fact of biology, you know, like. You know, uh, it's amazing that Clint Eastwood can still direct movies and star in movies at 91. But if you saw him in his last movie, he could be, he can barely get a he, you know, his voice has now gone totally yeah. hoarse and he has no s strength in his body any longer. He's a huge, you know, Trump is 13 years younger than he, but he'll be out there every day. And he is, I don't think that that will, there's a reason that this hasn't happened before. Look, the change argument only works if the nominee of the Republican Party is not Donald Trump. And the right. way to the way that within the context of the primary, it's a different story, right? Yeah. And change means something different. I think change relates to electability, right? And you see now when you talk to Republican voters, the ones who are disposed to moving from Trump 
uh, to a new candidate, they'll say, well, you know, we want to win. We yeah. need fresh leadership. So it works in different dimensions. Uh, and the, my only point was in a general election, which is the one that really matters, uh, you can't make the normie versus crazy argument. You can't make right. the generational argument uh, if your nominee is Donald Trump. You're just going to have a rehash of all the arguments made in 2020. Um, and uh, I would rather not repeat that experience. <laughs> Matt Cotnetti, thanks for being with us. Uh, you will, again, be joining us permanently a week from Monday uh, as... Uh, sadly Noah uh, sadly for us but uh, triumphantly for Noah he moves on to other shores uh, Christine will be back tomorrow so for Abe and Noah I'm John Pot Horitz keep the candle burning